is good to be back. Uh, I have my monthly appointment to preach over at our Battery Park campus on the second Sunday of the month. So that was a couple of weeks, several weeks ago. And then two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to preach at our Yorktown campus. And then uh, last weekend, I was away and hanging out with my grandbabies. So uh, that was the most fun of the three weekends, if you can imagine. But uh, anyway, it is uh, back home and back to work. We are finishing, as I mentioned, Nehemiah, and uh, so I, of course, I'm not going to try and cover four chapters of Nehemiah. There is a lot of information, so I'm going to give you a bit of a snapshot, and then I'm going to come back and cover just two spots, two sections of it, and uh, this is uh, the occasion where we're going to find the covenant reaffirmed by the children of Israel, the covenant uh, with God that God had made with them who, who had said, here's how I want you to live before me. And they had uh, said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And they reaffirmed that. And we're going to touch on that just a little bit uh, this morning. And then uh, we, uh, we're going to kind of go through a listing. There's a lot of names. There's a whole bunch in the chapter 10 of names, which I am not going to try and pronounce all of them. And uh, even if I do it confidently, it's just going to take a long time and you will fall asleep. So uh, I don't want that to happen. And then, but we get to the end of the book and we find that it is not all good news, that the people of Israel in the story, the account of Nehemiah, are very much like us and they don't always stay true to their word. And so I, I want you to be encouraged that if you struggle to keep your commitments to the Lord, you're not alone in that, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't make them and we shouldn't strive to do it, right? So there's a spot at the end that I, I think a couple of you might really love, and I'm not going to preach on it, but uh, Nehemiah had noticed some of the people were violating covenants that they had made with God, and it says, I beat them and pulled out their hair. And uh, I'm like, I think I know a few people that would be like, I want to be on that team. I want to, I want to do some hair pulling. And, uh, but we're not going to do that, and we don't have that available here. But uh, there's, there's some stuff in here that I want to come back to because I think it's really valuable, and I hope you will be encouraged by it this morning. We've watched as Nehemiah has worked through incredible obstacles, right? Uh, he navigated obstacles with supplies and defense and mockery and threats of violence and internal conflict and external hindrances, all of these sorts of things. Uh, Nehemiah has proved himself to be a godly, capable leader. He's a master at executing the vision that God gave to him. He's a great leader. And in fact, many of the resources I have seen related to the book of Nehemiah are leadership resources, how to be a great leader, because Nehemiah was one. And then, but what I want to do is to come back around to the people. He handled, he had problem-solving skills, he had good people skills. There were a lot of really good things, but I want to come back around to the people. And I want to hopefully bring it kind of to bear for us in ways that we can reaffirm and recommit ourselves to walking with God. Uh, and I think it's really, really uh, valuable to do that. So let me just jump in. We're going to chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 28 because it is after that list of names that I don't want to tackle. Uh, but that list of names in the first 27 verses of chapter 10 is simply a listing of all the people who signed their names to the covenant in writing to say, we will commit ourselves to follow after God. I want to talk a little bit more about what they were committing themselves to. And there were really two things uh, that characterized them 
in chapter 10 that are worth our consideration. And the first is that this, this godly commitment that they made, had uh, they, there were some characteristics about them. They were people of character, and there were some unique things. So I want to take the first verse, 28 of this section, and the last verse of this section, and I want to kind of give those brackets first. Here were their characteristics. Verse 28, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and all who have knowledge and understanding join with their brothers, their nobles. So that's joining with the list from 1 through 27 of this chapter. They join and they enter this covenant. So there were two characteristics here. I think will really be important for us to think about. Uh, And then, I'm sorry, let me drop down and read verse 39 then. The people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. There are two or so things here that I think are really, really important. And the first is in verse 28. There was a, uh, a certain separateness. They were people who were distinct from the world. They were people who separated themselves from the peoples of the lands. Now, I know this is a kind of a, a difficult balance sometimes, right? Because we tend to fall off into a ditch on one side or the other. Either we become so separate from the people of the world around us that we are just almost weird, right? We're just, we're so separate that we can't possibly reach them for Christ because they are over there and we are over here and we, we develop this mentality that's really unhealthy. Uh, and so we don't want to be there or we fall off in the ditch on the other side where, uh, see, this works out well because for me, this is the right and for you, it's the left. So it doesn't matter whether you're thinking right or left in the conversation. The point is, it's a ditch and we don't want to become so much like the world in which we live that they can't tell we're different. They can't tell there's something unique about us. I heard someone say, uh, ask the question, if someone ever accused you of being a follower of Christ, would there be enough evidence in your life to warrant that conviction. Uh, We want to be distinct. These are people who were separate from the world. Now, that is not a list of activities. He doesn't give a list. There are very few lists in the Bible, uh, almost none, in fact, that give the specific activities in the New Testament that we are not to do. There are a number of things that we are told to do, but not a lot of things that we are told, no, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, and this is, that's how we usually define distinct from the world, right? We give the list. I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do, right? That's what I was taught as a kid. Um, though it's, it's not a list of things. It's a list of heart attitudes. It's a list of of perspectives on life. It's not loving the things of the world. What are the things of the world? What's the world, the flesh, and the devil? You know, we begin to go to all of these conversations that we've had, and we want to make sure that we are distinct. We don't think like worldly people. That's going to be 
related to our finances. It's going to be related to our relationships, our marriages, our work experience. Christians ought to be the hardest workers around. They ought not ever to uh, be lazy people that don't want to work hard for their employer. All of those things are things that should make us distinct. Does that mean nobody in the world acts that way? No, but it means we do. We make sure that we are separate from the world. Secondly, we're committed to the things of God. We will not neglect the house of our God. That includes faithfulness to being in church, but it doesn't simply mean I'll never skip church. It means I will be faithful and committed to the things of God. Those are two characteristics that make up this group of people that are really, really important. In other words, we're not concerned if anyone else in the world lives by this, we will live by this. Our homes will be distinct. Our philosophy of life will be not be like those that live, in their case, outside the walls. Those who are not followers of Christ. There ought to be some evidence, some clear distinction between us. It's not necessarily going to be in the way we wear our hair or what particular style of clothing we like or some of those external things, right? Even in the Old Testament, they wanted the most handsome, good-looking, tallest guy in the bunch to be king when they were first looking for a king for Israel. And Saul, or rather Samuel, thought, oh, well, he's clearly the one. And God said, "Uh uh-uh, not that one. Why? Because the Lord doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks on the heart. So that's where we begin. We start with a heart distinction that is separated from the world and committed fully to the things of God. We will not neglect the house of our God. Now, having said that, their distinctiveness is also described. So there's a couple of heart characteristics that described them, but then there's some unique Uh, distinctiveness. One is in the commitment itself. We will live by what God has said. Verse 29, we, all of these people who are separated from the love of God, who walk in wisdom and, and are committed to the things of God, we join with our brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by servant Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord and Uh, and his rules and his statutes. They were people who in their commitment to the things of of God were unique. We enter into an oath and a curse. Now, it's just a couple chapters later, they're struggling, they're faltering, they're, they're not doing what they were supposed to be doing, what they say right here that they're going to do. But the point is they were committed we're going to do this. I think it's valuable to make a commitment. Some people are like, well, I'm not going to probably be successful anyway, so why make that kind of commitment? Commitment brings us accountability. Standing up and saying, I'm, I want to be one of these people makes me accountable, makes other people look at me, gives people the freedom to look at my life and say, you said you were going to do this. Are you doing this? That's what, what Christian brotherhood and sisterhood looks like, right? In their homes, Verse 30, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And uh, well, let me stop there. I'm not going to, I agree, yes, you should marry someone who's a follower of Jesus. That's totally true. But I want to make this broader, right? This is in our homes. 
We're going to make sure that our homes, you remember what, what Joshua said to the people, right? Back, back in the day, a lot earlier than this, when it was time for, for them to make another commitment, they said, we're going to follow God. We promise we'll really do this. And Joshua said, you can't. You can't do it because God is a jealous God and he doesn't take your commitment lightly. No, no, no. And Joshua said, I don't care what anybody else does, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This, this is on dads. This is on husbands. We take the lead, gentlemen, in making sure that our homes will serve God. But this is the people, the people themselves. We make this commitment. We're going to be faithful in serving God, and it's going to start in our homes. Our homes are going to be unique. We're not going to be influenced by the world. The whole point of not marrying, intermarrying among the nations had nothing to do with race. We understand that, right? It had to do with the, the gods that these other nations worshipped. And we are not going to let anything outside of God influence our lives. God is going to direct what we do. The true God, the only God, is going to direct our lives. And all of these other nations are worshiping other gods, and God warned them, if you marry them, they will bring their gods into your home, and you will wander from me. So the fact of intermarriage had nothing to do with the race of the people. It had to do with the gods they worshiped. And that's a principle that still applies today. Our most intimate of relationships ought to be with people who love our Jesus, right? Verse 31, in their business, if the peoples of the land bring in goods or grain, uh, any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Okay, that's, that's an Old Testament requirement as far as how often and what you're going to do with your crops. And every so, num so many years, you're going to not plant and all of those kind of things. There are a lot of details there, right? And you're, we're not going to buy from anybody who sells on the Sabbath day. Listen, I know Christians personally who refuse to patronize any business on the Lord's day. Okay, if you're going to apply that, apply that. That's fine. My point is this. In our business dealings, we ought to be different. That doesn't mean I can only buy chicken from Chick-fil-A. I know, it's the Lord's chicken. I get it. And they're not open on Sundays. I understand. But there are some people who like Popeyes. You know, I don't want to start an argument. But it, it isn't, it's not about, the, the point I'm making is not about can I shop or do whatever on Sunday. It is about my business. They're not gonna patronize people who are not following the laws of God in the land of Israel. <laughs> my business dealings are gonna be different, which means how I spend my money is going to be different. What I do with my money is going to be different. They're gonna talk here in just a minute about their giving to the temple service. They're gonna talk about their commitment to give some of their wealth, some of their prosperity to God. How I handle my money, how I carry out my business is impacted by my commitment to the things of God. It's not just all about, yes, I'll read my Bible and pray every day. You should read your Bible and pray every day. You absolutely should do that. It will help you to grow in your walk with Christ. I promise you it will do that. But that's not how I prove I'm committed to God. My proof of my commitment to God is how that influences every part of my life. 
my home, my business dealings, and certainly in my worship. Now down to verse 32. We take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service to the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, the sin offerings to make an atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of God. We, the priests, the Levites, the people, have likewise cast lots for the wood offering. People had to bring wood to the temple so they could burn the sacrifices, right? We're going to do that. Uh, now I've lost my place. Wood, oh, there we go. Wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of every fruit of the tree and year by year to the house of the Lord and to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and our cattle as it's written in the law. And all of these things, they're talking about all these specific commitments that the law gave to them about their faithfulness to give God what was first, to give first to God the peace of everything that was gods. That's where we get the concept of tithing, right? We get the concept of faithfully giving to the Lord because it's just been throughout the Old Testament. You set aside first what you're going to give to God, not because it's his portion. That's not his portion. He owns it all. I'm just giving him that piece as an acknowledgement that it's all his, right? They recommitted themselves to their faithfulness in their worship. We're going to be here. We're going to participate. We're going to uh, take on our obligations for, for the sacrifices and the offerings. It was very different from them, them than it would be for us, right? We don't, we don't do burnt offerings and sacrifices here. You don't come and all of that, right? That's, that has been fulfilled in Jesus. So there are other things that we do, but their faithfulness to worship was part of what made their uniqueness. I would ask you this question because now, what is the temple of God? It's not this building, right? This isn't the correlation. First Corinthians chapter six said, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So how I conduct myself, how I even treat my body has to do with my commitment to the things of God. And by the way, that is specifically in the context of 1 Corinthians 6, it is in the context of sexual purity. Uh, we like to apply our lists, right? Well, you shouldn't take this, you shouldn't drink this or do that or smoke that or whatever. We have our, our things, and you shouldn't overeat either, right, by the way. And, you know, here we are in a culture where, man, what about all those lists? Well, what about those lists? The point is it's, it's, it's not my body's a temple. It is that the Spirit of God lives in me. And what am I doing to take care of the temple of God, but what am I doing in my faithfulness to worship God? So there was a godly commitment on the part of these people that I think is worth our remembering. And now I want to jump over, well, jump over, keep on reading, go down to chapter 11. 
and I want to hit some highlights here that I think are really useful, and I hope you will take some encouragement away with you today from this, because this is talking about the people and their humble service for the Lord. I can tell you, and I have told you before, we recognize as the leaders here at this campus and the leaders across Coastal Church that Coastal Church depends not so much on its leadership as its volunteers to see all of the ministry that's going on. We absolutely love our volunteers, the people who willingly offer themselves to serve God. And if you are one of them, and many of you are, and some of you are that in several areas, and there are people downstairs caring for our children right now. There are people in the hallways being, uh, making sure that everything is safe and secure while we worship God in here. There are people doing things consistently. And, you know, some of them are here in Nehemiah chapter 11. It's really interesting to me. In fact, that first couple of verses reminds us about how willingly this happened. Verses 1 and 2. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. One out of ten people. They had a lottery, and you got drawn, and you went and lived in the city of Jerusalem, which the whole book has been about rebuilding the walls, right? Now we need to repopulate the city. The capital city of this uh, kingdom of Judah, the capital city of Jerusalem, we need to repopulate. And one out of every 10 people was told, you're going to go live there. But verse 2 says, they went willingly. They they served by actually uprooting and going to live inside the city, not in the outlying towns. Interesting, right? Well, I shouldn't have to go there. To me, and I don't mean to like twist scripture, so forgive me if this is a little overboard, but I don't think it is. This is like when we say, hey, we're taking on another new campus like we did here. When we started here, uh, there were very few of you here. There are some people who were, but the first two Sundays I preached here, there were 25 people in the entire building, and we were all here in this room. We had no children's ministry. We had nothing else, and, and look what God has done. By the way, when I reported that in at Yorktown just a couple of weeks ago, it was almost a standing ovation. They're so thrilled, and you know what we did? We said, announced, Pastor Sean announced at Yorktown, hey, listen, I need some people willing to go to Hampton and help us reestablish that church there on the corner of Victoria and Hampton Roads Avenue. And some people came, right? Quite a few of them came. And, and a number of you have said, you know what? I've caught the vision for this ministry and I'm staying here. And others came for a season and have gone back to Yorktown and others have gone to other campuses. And there may come a time when we open another campus and we may say, you know what? We need a few people from our campuses to go be part of that reestablishing and revitalizing a church. These people went from their home, from their towns they lived in, to go live in Jerusalem because they willingly wanted to serve. That's what 
pastors are supposed to be, right? Peter tells the pastors, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Can I tell you, there are days when a pastor does things because he has to. It's his job. But if that's his attitude all the time, he shouldn't be a pastor. They should serve willingly. I should serve willingly. So should we all, right? Pastors are examples to the flock of what we all should do. It should be our joy and our willing service to the Lord. Can I tell you something else that is a little hard for us to swallow? Most of them served anonymously. There's a listing here in chapter 11. There's a bunch of names, which again, I'm not going to read, and then you see a bunch of numbers. There were 468 valiant men, and there were 928 here, and there were 822 and 242. So I went through and added up all those numbers, all the list of people who served in these various capacities. And I can tell you that the total is 3,052 people named, and not named, 3,052 that were a number. I know we hate calling people a number. They were numbered. There were 3,052 of them. There are a bunch of names in this chapter. This person served, and when it specified that person, it usually gave a little bit of their heritage, right? The son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so. If you count all the so-and-sos, the son of so-and-so, if you count all of the names, there are 74. 74 names, over 3,000 people. Most everybody served anonymously. Most everybody didn't get any acknowledgement that they served. That's really hard, right? It's not easy for us to know I'm here to serve Jesus and that's what I'm going to do. And if I don't get my name on the bulletin board or on the screen or somewhere in a list somewhere, it's okay because I'm not here for the recognition. I'm here to serve the Lord. There are a lot of you that do that. It's one of the reasons I don't often give lists of names of people that are serving because first of all, I'm gonna forget somebody because there are so many people who are serving faithfully and I don't, I don't wanna be offensive. So, so rather than do that, I just don't name anybody. But, uh, but there are so many of you that are serving just like this anonymously. I'm really grateful. Those are the kind of people that God uses most often, right? We are clay pots. We're people who serve, we have the glory of the gospel in, in us, and man, we're just here to serve. They served anonymously. They also served very specifically. There's some things in Nehemiah 11 that I think are going to sound a little familiar to you. These are the ways that they served. So we already talked about the group in, in the first two verses that moved into the city. They were very specific. Their task was, we need you to move and take up residence inside the walls of the city, and we're going to reestablish this city. Verses 10 through 12 say of the priest, Jediah, the son of Jehu, you know, all these guys. We're going to, uh, verse 12, and their brothers who did the work of the house. That's stuff that happened inside the temple. The house was another term to use for this was the temple service. These are the people who worked, who volunteered inside the temple. 
We have tons of them. As I said, we've got people downstairs, not just watching babies, but teaching children about the things of God right now, keeping them safe, keeping them engaged, helping them to learn about Jesus. They are faithful servants of the Lord. It's really, really useful and biblical to serve in the house of God, to serve in the church. It's not just valuable, it's necessary. We need to do that. So thank you to every one of you who is. I am so grateful for the people who serve inside. There's another group in verse 16 that is described as people who work. They were over the outside work of the house of God. Now, you know, I'm not really sure what that is. Preachers are supposed to know everything they talk about, right? But I don't know if that was landscaping. <laughs> I don't know if that was just keeping up the outside structure. I don't know if it was ministries to people outside the building, but the point was it was inside and outside, and people were serving faithfully. Very specifically, there were groups who were serving the outside of the house. Listen, when we have a work day and people are out here rooting and tearing in the, in the landscaping stuff and cutting bushes and chopping down trees, that is a service for God. It's not just work because we need something to do, right? We're serving the Lord. All of that has to do with what's inside, right? That's why we talked about the commitments first. I'm going to be committed to the things of God, and as a result of that, I'm going to serve the Lord. Verse 17, interesting guy, Mataniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asaph, who was the leader of the praise, who gave thanks. Almost every other translation of the scripture besides the ESV translates that this is the guy who led in thanksgiving and prayer. I think Mataniah was the prayer team leader in Jerusalem at the temple. I think the prayer team is a really important thing. We have people who are committed twice a month. Where are you, Kevin? First and third, right? First and third Sundays, as a rule, right after the morning service, they meet together to pray. They would love to have you join them. Listen, they are there. And every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, we're in here with the worship team and whoever's preaching, and we pray. It's really important. The Gideon 300, if you are somebody who doesn't just say, yeah, sure, I'll pray, but somebody who is faithfully committed to interceding for what's going on and wanting to get more information so you can continue to pray, we need people who will pray. This guy was the prayer leader, and he gets a specific shout-out from Nehemiah. Verse 19 the gatekeepers, and he lists them, who kept watch at the gates. That seems like an unnecessary sentence to me, but regardless, the gatekeeper, I looked up the word. It's an attendant who guards a gate and an entrance area, limiting access and relaying information. That's their security team. They were the people who were watching to make sure things were safe. I'm really grateful for those people. I love the fact 
that I have confidence to know there's somebody watching. Now, listen, we all understand, and we've talked about it. If you happen to come in a little bit late and everybody's already upstairs and you come in and there's three guys in black shirts sitting down there, it's a little intimidating, right? Listen, I'm really glad it's intimidating. I want it to be intimidating. So we're trying to figure out how do we have a few smiley people because they're really nice guys. All of them are really nice, you know, but they're not going to hurt you unless you try to hurt us. But anyway, um, I'm really glad for people who are willing to say, you know what, I'll, I'll kind of stand guard. I'll watch. We had people here yesterday walking around in their black shirts, our security personnel, while we all just had a good time out here sharing candy and getting to greet people and meet them in our neighborhood, which, by the way, that went really, really well. I wasn't sure how it would be. We had a ton of people from our neighborhood who just stopped by. Kids who came, one of them said, said How, how'd you find out about it? Oh, we were just driving by and saw you out here and my kids were somewhere else and already dressed up. We said, why not? We said, absolutely, have some candy. <laughs> it, it was really a great opportunity. I didn't know how it was gonna work, but I think it connected to our community. I'm really, really grateful. Verse 22, the overseer of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi, the son of Bani, etc., etc. The sons of Asaph, the singers, over the work of the house of God. I'm very grateful for our worship team, for our worship personnel. You know what we're all really grateful for? Because our worship leaders at Coastal that are on staff, they understand they have to be here. Now, they want to be here. They come willingly. They love what they do. But they will all tell you our worship ministry depends on the faithfulness of our volunteers, people who willingly offer themselves to say, yep, I'll be there for a couple hours on Thursday evening, and I'll show up again at 8.30 or 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, and I'll be there, and I'll be prepared, and I'll be rehearsed, and I'll be ready. These people help to turn our hearts to God, Right? Sometimes you come and you've had a great week and you are overflowing because, man, God has just ministered to you and you're ready to just burst with praise. And other weeks, you show up and you are like, man, if I don't get something from God today, I'm, I'm going to be in a bad way. We understand that, right? That's why nobody steps up and says, are you ready to worship? Because not all of you are. We get it, Right? Sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's an overflow, and sometimes we need filled up. And our worship team helps to make that happen, our singers that he specifies. Man, we could not carry out the ministry here at Coastal without people who are willing to voluntarily, willingly serve God. So thank you for those of you who are doing that. And man, if you're not, you're missing out on something that's really a fulfilling experience. We can use you. We can use you in children's ministry. We can use you in our first impressions. They are the smiley ones, right? They're not here to defend us. They're here to welcome and be smiley and give you a bulletin and ask you how your day's been. And if you can be friendly, man, we can use you. We can still use you on security too, right? We can use you in the worship ministry. We can use you in our student ministry. There are tons of ways. There's stuff that's going to be happening. Now listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of give you a little bit of a, a view. We've had a, a few people who've said, man, I love all this huge vision of Coastal. Look what God is doing. 
But what about Hampton? Right? I know some of you have been thinking that, a few of you have voiced that, and I'm telling you, there are conversations going on that we're going to see some stuff happening at our Hampton campus this year. My goal is sometime early in the new year to be able to take a little time in a sermon and give you some of that vision of what's happening. But I'm, all I have been told is it's Hampton's turn this year, okay? So if you're frustrated that stuff hadn't been... Now listen, I know, you, you got to know, you have a full-time staff of three people here. No church of a hundred people has that. We could never afford that. So Coastal is spending money and we still are not quite bringing in enough to cover all of our expenses as it is. So this is a missional campus of Coastal. So don't, don't get overly frustrated, but please know we are not being ignored. Uh, we, it, there are some things coming and Lord willing, we're going to talk about it and it's going to give you some more opportunities to volunteer. Let me just leave it at that. I want to do one last thing, and man, I'm already running over. We were just talking about this a week or so ago among the pastors, and they're all like, is 40 minutes or 45 minutes too long to preach? I said, well, I'm usually done in 35, so I got a whole point in about one minute here, so I'm probably not going to make it. Don't tell. Uh, faithful stewardship. This is how I want to make this applicable today, and we can do this kind of quickly because I have touched on some of these things. I want to give you three statements that I hope you'll take home and remember. Number one, you may not be, faith, be famous, but you are essential. You may not be the name that gets recognized, but you are an essential part of this ministry. I'm not going to take time to go through all of these scriptures, but jot down Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, and read it later, okay? Uh, I just need you to take some time to remember. There are many members, but one body. This morning, I stepped outside to our back patio, and I stepped on a little tiny sliver of something. And my whole body knew something had happened. It wasn't just that my foot hurt. Everything in me, all of a sudden, I didn't walk right. My psyche was a little messed up. You know, like, I didn't say any bad words, so that was good. But something happened to my foot, and my whole body reacted because our bodies are designed like that, right? We have many members, one body. That's the picture that is drawn for us in uh, Romans chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it is a picture of many gifts, but all one purpose. They're all given, we're told there, for the common good. I'll, let me read this last verse, verse 7. To each of you is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Not everybody gets to preach. Honestly, I know most of you wouldn't want to. Most of you wouldn't want to have to stand up here, okay? But we all have different giftings. We all have different things that God has, by his gracious spirit, enabled us to do and love. It's really important that we all do our thing, right? You've heard the phrase, there's a place for everybody, and everybody needs to be in their place because we cannot function. And so there's that whole really weird picture, right? If, if the whole body was an eye, where would the hearing be, right? And that's the whole Mike Wazowski thing, right? He's just one big eye. And he tells his girlfriend, I got my eye on you, right? And 
that's all he is is an eye. And it's weird, right? He's part of Monsters, Inc. So you are monster if you only have one thing. But we have eyes and ears and a mouth and a nose. We have all these different parts of our body, all of which are important. So you may not be famous, but you are essential. Secondly, you may feel anonymous, but God sees you. That's really important, right? Sometimes people feel like they're anonymous. Man, that's why I say recognize a, recognize a volunteer. You got somebody that takes care of your kids or go, well, don't hug a, don't hug a security person. That'll probably, they'll probably feel weird about it. But, uh, you know, thank a security person. Here's, here's a verse in Hebrews 6 that I really love. God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love you've shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. God is not unjust to do that. He sees. He knows what you're doing. He recognizes your service for the Lord. Even if you don't get public recognition, you may feel anonymous, but God sees you. That passage in 1 Corinthians that was talking about the gifts, can I give you one more point there? Because it's from that same section. There's a statement at the end of that section that says that there may be no division in the body. The fact that we're different, the fact that we all have different giftings and different capacities and different passions in serving God is designed to unify us, not divide us because it helps us remember we are dependent on each other. That's the picture of the New Testament, just like it was of Nehemiah chapter 11. Everybody had something to do. Three thousand names, three thousand people numbered, seventy-four names. God sees your service. And lastly, rewards are based on faithfulness not applause. You don't get in the kingdom of God greater rewards because people applaud louder when they hear your name. That happens in some corners of our culture. 1 Corinthians 4.2, moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. And the parable in Matthew 25 that I don't have time to go through. Everybody was given a little different amount. And when it came to the reckoning, everybody got the same reward. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You've been faithful. Thank you for your faithfulness. One had 10, one had five, one had, you know, or one had five, one had two, one had one. The reward was based on faithfulness, not success, maybe, as we would describe it, not applause. The challenge in all of this, of course, is that it requires humility. I have to recognize it isn't about me. So thoughts to take home. Are you distinct from those around you outside of Christ? Listen, I can tell you, we don't want to be weird. I already said that, right? Don't be so odd that you become a source of mockery unnecessarily, right? But as our culture continues to degrade... The distinction between people who think like the world and people who follow Jesus is growing, going to grow larger. Are you distinct? Secondly, are you eager to serve? 
Where are you invested? Are you, are you eager to find a way to serve God? And then lastly, are you serving faithfully, even without the applause? Listen, I know, I know, I know. We, we try to acknowledge our volunteers. I've tried to use today to let you know how much we love you and we appreciate you. We really, really are grateful. But I know a lot of you are showing up, man, and you're, you're down in children's ministry or your first impressions or you're helping decorate and nobody knows your name. We are grateful for your service and I want to encourage you to keep serving faithfully because God sees your service. He has not missed what you're doing. He is not unjust like that. We tend to be unjust like that. We don't notice maybe how nice the yard looks. <laughs> we may just think, oh yeah, the yard looks good. And we forget that somebody came here and did that, right? We, we miss those things, but God sees when we serve. And uh, man, I'm just really, really grateful. So Sorry, no challenge to hair pulling or, you know, beating people who don't do what they're supposed to do. But a challenge for us to do what we're supposed to do, right? With a heart that's distinct from the world and committed to the things of God, we're going to serve. Amen? And can I thank you for being interactive, by the way? I do preach at other campuses, and you guys, by far, are easy to preach to because you, like, you talk back, you respond. Uh, talk back is probably not the right term, but uh, anyway, thanks. I really, really appreciate it. The team's going to come. I'm going to pray, and the team is going to come. We're going to sing a song, and then I'm going to come back, and we're going to do our benediction and head on out. So let me pray. Father, thank you. I thank you today for the folks that are sitting here that are faithful servants of yours. God, I'm just really uh, humbled by the fact that they would give of themselves and give of their time so freely that they would uh, just give out of a heart that loves you. Give, as the scriptures say, first they gave of themselves to the Lord and then to us. They give to you by serving your church and by serving the community around us. So I'm grateful. I thank you for each one of them. I pray that you would encourage our hearts today, Lord, and challenge us for those places where we could step in and do something else and you put that on our hearts help us to be responsive to that uh, lord we're grateful grateful to be part of the body of christ i pray that we'd be faithful in what you've given us to do in jesus name amen